and take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Some of you know this and some of you perhaps don't yet know this. Every week, Bruce and Brian and I get together and we spend a good hour in prayer together praying for the services each week and what God would want us to use as far as the worship music and the worship services. And it's interesting how every week has its own uniquenesses. If you notice a funny sort of feel in that very first set of songs, we sang this big, huge song, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, and all of a sudden it's like the bottom dropped out. Because we have to remember that it's not just in those big, boisterous times, but also in the quiet and in the stillness we come to know that He is God. It's easy to know God in the power of the group. Sometimes it's hard to know the power of God in the quietness. And as we were singing the Revelation song and tears were coming to my eyes, I remembered a sudden memory the Lord gave me of my wonderful grandmother, my mother's mom, my nanny, we called her. We would go to Methodist Camp Meeting every year in August, and we would sit under that, what they called a tabernacle, open, no walls, just a ceiling, a roof, and we had those fans that the nursing homes would, you know, give away, and fanning and keeping the fly, trying to keep the flies out of your mouth when you breathe in, and we would be singing that great hymn of the faith, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and my grandmother would just be pouring tears. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. You see, nothing has changed. The style of the music may change, the words may change a little bit, but the message is true. We still stand in the presence of a holy God, and we bow in his presence. And so, like me, you felt that point in that song where you just got to stand up. You can't, you can't sit and sing Glory and honor, praise and power be to you, the only wise king. Well, one of the things about Father's Day that I think is true for the most part, I know there are always exceptions because we're sinners, but one thing about dads, almost without exception, even when we fail, we really, 99% of us as dads, we really want to treat our children and our family well. We want to take care of them. We want to love them. We want to care for them. We want to be there for them. We want them to feel secure and safe. We want to protect them. And granted, we make mistakes. Dads sometimes get so tied up in working to provide for their family, they don't always have time to spend with their family. And sometimes there's no other options. I understand that, and so do the, my, our kids. My dad, at times, was working three jobs. I remember when dad would get up and go to mop a laundromat and get the change out of the machines and go deposit it before he would go and work a 12-hour shift at the fire station and then from that, he would go and help clean apartments or get them ready to, for new tenants to come in, help the land, landlord. But you know, when I was a kid, I never felt like I was deprived. I never thought about the fact that my dad didn't spend a lot of time with me. We'd go play pitch out in the front yard sometimes on a Saturday if he had a 24 off. That was in the days when firemen worked days one week and nights the next week, and you had that 24-hour Saturday to switch shifts. But I never felt like I was deprived or abused or neglected or ignored. My dad was a sinner, but he did his best to provide for his family. And John is trying to help his spiritual children in this book, this letter, to understand what's going on in their midst. And he's laying out a series of tests. Last Sunday morning in your Bible study time, you talked about the test of obedience and how if we are true to God, if he lives in us and we live in him and we live in Christ, we're abiding in him, we will be obedient to what he's commanded us to do. And then in the sermon last week, we talked about being the, the test of love and how if we have Christ living in us, then there's this love that just flows out of us because Christ's love has flowed out to us. 
And so in response to that love that he has flowed out to us, we in turn flow with love to one another in a way that the world cannot really understand. And today, in the passage we have before us, John lays out the third test, which is the test of fidelity, faithfulness to the message. And so I'm going to split, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25, 26. I may cheat a little bit and talk a little bit about 26, but we're going to, we're going to look mainly at this whole idea of false teachers. I titled the message Liar, Liar, um, but that doesn't really mean a whole lot, but it is about liars and how we can be protected from those liars. And John, as a loving spiritual father, wants to share that with his beloved children. He starts with that word in verse 18. He calls them children. Now before we can go anywhere, we've got to understand how important that term was in the first century church. You see, in the Greco-Roman world, there was no such thing as having a sense of, of familiness within people who were not biologically related. And even sometimes within a biological family, there was a sense of everyone was a little monad doing their own thing and and, and, and living their own lives, and they depended on one another, but there was not this intimacy, and definitely not within any kind of an organization or communal body was there this sense. As a matter of fact, the Stoics said the best way to live your life is be separated from others as much as you can. Learn to be apathetic about the needs of others so that you can care for yourself. Doesn't sound anything like the 21st century, does it? You see why John's letter is so apropos to us today? Because so many of the things that John's church was facing, we face in our world today. So John begins by reminding them that we have a familial relationship with each other. You are my children. I am your father. We have a heavenly father, and we have his son, Jesus Christ. And he gives them three considerations about this issue of these false teachers that have been coming into their church and trying to lead them astray. And I've used big fancy words for them, but they're really simple words. The first one is an eschatological consideration, looking to the future. Second, there's an ecclesiastical consideration, looking at the form of the church. And then there is a charismatic consideration, looking at the spirit and his work in the church. And that's in the first four verses. So let's look at those first. John says, children, it is the last hour. Now, some of you go, whoa, pastor, if John thought it was the last hour then, it's been a long hour. We've gone almost 1,900 and some odd years, close to 2,000 years, and we're still in that last hour. Well, that's because we have to understand that in John's mindset, this eschatological time, this end time concept was not something that was linear. It was a state of being. A few weeks ago, a dear friend of mine, fast friend, Gary Donnell, went into God's presence. He had severe pancreatic cancer. His life was cut very short, very quickly. And many of you know that there were several times when I went to the Donnell's house to pray knowing that Gary probably would not live through the night. I actually missed an evening worship service to go and be with the family because they said he's probably not going to make it till morning. But two and a half weeks later, he was still with us. But you see, the reason I use Gary as an example is because that is, that, that is a classic example of what it's like to be living in a state of knowing at any moment this man will die. Every one of us knew that eventually Gary Donnell was going to pass from this life into eternity. We just didn't know when. Now, we could be a little bit morbid. I don't think it's morbid necessarily. We could be a little bit morbid and say every one of us was born to die. We all have a terminal illness. And we may last five weeks, five months, five years, or 85 years, or 105 years, but eventually we're going to cross into eternity. So we live every day, and we realize how tenuous our lives are when we watch a Wyatt Dugan, when we remember other young people who died 
just like that, hill hopping on a Friday night out through Monroe County. Every one of us have grieved over people who get cancers early in life and died. We know that we are always living on the edge of eternity, and so is this creation. See, that's what John understood about this eschatological, this end-time life, is that no, we don't know when a great theologian from the 19th century it's interesting, I probably read a dozen or more commentaries and other things to get ready for a sermon as background work, and five different commentaries all quoted the same theologian from the 19th century who talked about how, and I, I should have brought my mark board with me. He said, you know, up until the time of Jesus' uh, appearing, the world pretty well just came along like this, okay? Then Christ died, rose from the dead, ascended to his father, and all of a sudden it begins to go like this, running alongside with eternity like this. And we never know when this line is going to go, like that and cross over. But we're always five minutes to midnight. That's why we today can still say Christ could come today. And he could. He could say, it's enough. I had the in interesting privilege. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will speak to you in the most, un well, I don't guess all unusual, unusual places. In the middle of teaching vacation Bible school. Aren't vacation Bible school times wonderful times? The first day of VBS, we talked about how, from the book of Galatians, how in God's time, he sent Jesus to be born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, Galatians chapter 5. And the last day of VBS, we were talking about Christ's return. And in the midst of teaching, and now it seems like a dumb moment in a way, but it dawned on me that it's just not God's time yet. You see, God waited thousands of years before the moment was just right for a son to be born the first time. Why would we be surprised if we wait thousands of years for Christ to come back the second time? Because when God's time is right, guess what? Jesus will appear. We just need to be ready. And that's what John is telling the church. He said, this is, we are living in the last time. And so are we today. And if God, Jesus tarries another thousand years, so will we be then. And as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. We know from this that it is the last hour. In other words, John says there are certain things that we know from Jesus' teachings that mean that the end is on its way. And one of them is there will be false teachers. Jesus told them in Matthew chapter 11. He said, there will be many that will come in my name. Don't listen to them. Don't believe them. They are deceivers. And today, in the world... In the church, in the Christian community, there are men and women who are deceivers, who are leading people astray, who are using alluring doctrines to try to get people to be drawn away from the truth of the gospel. And we, just like in John's day, we must understand that this is not something to be discouraged about. This is just a reminder that we're living in the end time, that we are living in a day when someday God will say that's enough and he will draw an end and we'll be carried home. And whether you believe that happens through a rapture pre-tribulation or after tribulation or is not, that really is an important point, but it's not important to this. The final point of this is that John says there will come a day and you can know by this sign that we are in the preparation for that. But then he also in verse 19 gives a ecclesiastical or a form of what's going on. What is happening in the church? He says, in verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. Now, this is an interesting passage, an interesting verse. Because John wants his little church to understand that you didn't leave them. They left you. 
In other words, you were doing just fine. We had the truth, we were preaching the gospel, and then all of a sudden they stood up, began to teach something that wasn't true, and they left us. You notice he changes the words us. He didn't say they left you, he says they left us. John counts himself as part of that group. And they left us because, really, they did not belong to us. Now, I need to stop right here because I just don't want anybody to misunderstand. This is not at all talking about Bob and Debbie Pellman who felt led of the Lord to stop worshiping with us and begin worshiping at First Baptist Columbia because that's where they live. That is a wonderful transfer of a tremendously gifted, godly couple to be able to minister in a new location. That is not what I'm talking about at all. That is not what John is talking about. These are people who left the church as the church. They abandoned the teachings of the gospel in order to go their own way. And there are some that remain within what looks like the church, and yet they have moved away from the mainstream. They have moved away from the core of what we in the church believe and teach and find in God's Word as the center of who we are. And they have gone off on these aberrant ways, some of them trying to stay within the church, but many of them moving outside the church itself and forming their own religious organizations, their own religious places, their own religious approaches to life. So the fact is they've left. The meaning is because they didn't belong to us to begin with. And the reason they left was because they would, it was so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. Interesting phrase. Very end of verse 19. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. Now, all of you are thinkers, so stop and think just a second. So who caused them to go out? This is not a rhetorical question. Who caused them to go out? Did, was it of their own free will? Did they want to prove they didn't belong to us and that's why they left? Is that what John is saying? So come on, somebody be brave. Who caused them to go out? No, it wasn't them. They were, they were the ones that did it. But who caused it in order to show that they didn't belong to us to begin with? God did that. The Holy Spirit did that. God sent them out so that it would be, you see, what God is in the business of doing, listen to me very carefully, what God is in the business of doing is glorifying himself through the church. And so in doing that, he is constantly shifting and refining and cleansing his church. So these people were part of the church. They were teaching false things, things that were contrary to the truth of the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were teaching that Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh. They were teaching he was just a man, like any other man. And maybe the Holy Spirit lit on him and filled him, but he still was just a human just like everybody else. And John says the reason that they left on the surface may have been because they choose to do so. You're right about that. It was their choice in their mind, but really it was God that caused it to happen. So you would know that God loves you and is protecting you. Any of you dads? Ever see your son running around with a young man that you know just by looking at him, he is not good news for your son. And you say, buddy, I know you like Billy. I know you want to be a witness to Billy. But I'm going to have to tell you, I don't want you running around with Billy. Now, if Billy wants to come over here and play, if Billy wants to come over here and play Xbox, that's fine. But I don't want you going to Billy's house. I don't want you getting in the car with Billy because, Dad, no, you don't need to go with Billy because I'm, I don't trust. You see, that's because I love my son. And when John said, God is the one who caused them to leave to let you know how much he loves you, how much he cares about you. And then thirdly, there is this charismatic, this spiritual thing. Look at what he says in verse 20 and 21. He says, 
But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar but the one, except the one that denies that Jesus is the Messiah? I'll get to that part in just a second. But he says to these, these, these members of his, these children, these spiritual children, you need to understand that you have been given the Holy Spirit by Christ, by God, so that you can know the truth. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. You don't have to know every type of, of line of aberrant theology. You don't have to know every single thing that this cult or that group or that preacher or that church teaches. What you need to know is the truth. And the truth then becomes your test. And, and, and where's Amanda? Are you in here, Amanda? Wave your hand. Can I give you credit for Yeah, I have to now because I already called you out by name. Amanda gave the greatest example. She says, you know what? If you have a ruler, you don't have to worry about whether something's straight or not. The ruler will tell you whether it's straight or not. But try to prove something is straight with a string. A string will go just like this. But a ruler will always be straight. And so if we have the rule of God's word in our hearts, then we don't have to worry about knowing every single line in Jehovah's Witness theology or Mormon theology or any of those other kinds of things because we know by the Holy Spirit what's true. Someone comes to your door and tells you, that Jesus Christ was a man just like us. He was created by God. He was a sinner. He lived on another planet. And because he was obedient to God, God says, I'll let you be the God of the earth. So he sent him here to the earth to be our God. And if you'll be as obedient to God as Jesus was, then God will give you a planet someday. You can just shake their hand and say, I hope you have a nice day. Because that's heresy. That is not scripture. When someone comes into you and knocks on your door and says, I'm here and I want to tell you how Jesus was made the son of God by his resurrection. How he was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, but he was a sinful man with an earthly mother, an earthly father. He was a sinner just like you and me, and then the Holy Spirit light lit on him at his baptism. You can say, I hope you have a nice day, and close the door, because then you know that's not true. You see, we learn the truth, and then the truth becomes the ruler that helps us determine when something is true and something is not. And that is the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And, and John wants to make sure they understand he loves them dearly. He's not scolding them. He says, listen, I'm writing this to you because I know you know the truth. Don't let these people deceive you. I don't care if it's an evangelist that is respected across the country. If he stands and he says there's no need for a Jewish person to accept Jesus Christ because Jesus didn't die for Jews, he only died for Gentiles, you need to change the channel right then. Right then. Because that is not true. Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. Christ came first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So when you hear something, no matter what else you may have heard, that you may have loved and thought, there are these guys, they are amazingly alluring. And then they'll stand up and they'll say, well, I just don't know if it's my place to say if a person doesn't accept Jesus, they can't go to heaven. I think that's between them and God. Well, listen, I agree. I shouldn't judge Russ, or I shouldn't judge. That's between you and the Lord. But I will stand and preach the truth of God's word, which says there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so I can say without apology that if a person does not come through Christ, they will not get to God. That is the truth. And so if someone teaches something else, they are in error. And the best thing we can do, well, I'll show you in just a minute what we can do, all right? Let me rush on. The second half of this passage, beginning at verse 22, talks about the truth that abides. And we start with this liar, okay? The liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Now, very quickly, let me make sure you understand. In the Scriptures, there is a person who is called the Antichrist. He may be living on the earth right now, for all we know. We don't know. He will be Satan's tool at the end of time. But John has already said, back just a few verses, there are many antichrists. In other words, there are many people who are against Christ or are trying to substitute 
something else for Christ. That word anti in the Greek can either mean against or in place of. So please understand, if I say a person is teaching false doctrine, they may be just totally deceived. I don't think they have a little secret Satan temple in their, in their bedroom. They probably believe they're teaching exactly the truth, but Satan is using that to draw people away from the truth of the gospel. So he says, the one who denies the Father and the Son. He said, well, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. They just said they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. How does that deny God? Well, can you have a father without a son? How many of you dads are fathers? Raise your hand. How many of you dads were fathers before your first child was born? Yeah, exactly. If there's no son, guess what? There ain't no father. And so John says, if you, if you reject the son, you have also rejected the father of the son. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of this because we're, we, we, we had a lot of music this morning because of the youth, and I'm glad they were here. But I do want to just say one word about this whole concept because this is something we hear often today. People will say, well, now, well you know, Steve or, or Joe or Bill or Sally, you know, you're at work or you're on the same club or whatever. And they say, you know, we, we agree about God. He's created the world. He's loving. He's just. We, we, we just disagree about Jesus. So we're okay, right? Well, you believe he's God. I believe he was a good teacher. So that makes, us, that makes us square, right? No, we're not square. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be mean to them, but you need to know in your heart that John chapter, 1 John chapter 2 makes it very clear. Anyone who does not declare that Jesus is the Son of God, and the reason it's so important is for two reasons. Number one, because if Jesus was not God who came to live with us, then there has never been a time in history where God himself came to show us his love. And everything that we learn about God has to be done through teachers, human leaders, human teachers, human prophets. But we believe that Jesus was God, is God, came to live in our midst so that we could see firsthand what God's love for us looks like. And secondly, it totally destroys the concept of our salvation. If Jesus Christ is not a qualified candidate to be the propitiation, the payment, the take the penalty for our sins, his death is nothing but a martyrdom. It means nothing, and we're still lost. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. And so, as we accept this concept of Jesus being the Christ, it's because without it, there is no salvation, because there's not been a worthy sacrifice, a worthy substitute. I can't die for you. i got to die for my own sins. You can't die for me. you got to die for your own sins. There's only one who did not have the penalty on himself that could take the penalty for someone else, and that's Jesus Christ. So that's who the liar is. Who's on the side of truth? No one who denies the Son can have the Father, but he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. In other words, if you have the Son, you have everything the Father gave the Son. And the way that kind of makes us kind of like grandchildren. We're not grandchildren theologically. We're brothers and sisters of Christ. He's our firstborn. But in the sense that the Father gave the Son eternal life, the gift of giving eternal life to those who will follow him, from the Father to the Son to us, we're all tied to one another. So what is the key? What do we need to do to make sure that we can stand up against false teachings? You find it in verse 24. What you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. The ESV says must abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself has given to us eternal life. In other words, and, and it's interesting how this works. 
The leaf is attached to the branch. But at the same time, the sap and the nourishment that comes from the branch goes into the leaf. So in a sense, the, the, the tree, the vine, is in the leaf, and the leaf is in the vine. So he says, if God's word, if what you've heard from the beginning, the teachings about the gospel, if they live in you, then you will also live in him. You see how the two things go together? But if we don't have his word living in us, then we can't hold on to him, and we won't be connected to him. That's why the way that we fight error is by staying focused on God's Word. Letting it be the center, not just of our church life, not just of our Bible's life, but of our personal lives. That's why we pass out these little cards. I'm sure there's probably not 10% of you that are actually memorizing Hebrews chapter 11 right now. And that's not a bad thing. But I hope every day, every week, you are using these verses as you think through your day, as you think about these things other places, you read your Bible in the morning before you go to work. You read little passages of Scripture, and then you take it with you through the day, and God will give you opportunities to dwell on that and meditate on that and think about that during the course of your day. So he says, if you abide, if his words abide in you, does that sound kind of like John 15 when he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then we will be in sync. You can ask what you will, and it will be done for you. Not because I'm going to just be the you know, sugar daddy and give you whatever you want, but because we will be in sync with each other. You will be in me, I will be in you, and then you can ask, and it will be coming just like a leaf asks for nourishment from the tree. The fruit asks nourishment from the tree, and then it reproduces and plants new fruit. This is the gospel. You see, God wants us to be in this intimate, abiding fellowship with him. He wants us to be planted in him. And yet there were these teachers that were coming along and pulling people away, deceiving them, tricking them. Can't take away their salvation, but definitely can take away the fellowship they had with the Father, the intimacy, the closeness. And so John is saying what you need to do is you need to plant yourself in the word, let it dwell in you so that you can dwell in Christ, and then you will receive that promise of eternal life that God has given to all those who put their trust in him now maybe you're here today and you've never done that maybe you believe in god you can believe in jesus you believe he was a good man you in a weird way you may even believe well i believe he's god but you've never believed to a point that you need to do something about that in your life because you see one of the things we taught the children this past uh, or before our bible school was that god is in charge he rules we have sinned and broken fellowship so God provided a way for us. Christ gave his life to pay the penalty for our sins, but then we have to respond. It's not enough for those first four things to happen until we respond to the claims of the gospel. And so today, if you were sitting here and you're not a believer yet, I want you to understand we are living in the last days. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to be honest with you, which means if you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are treading on a knife's edge. And we have to understand that this grace is extended out saying, accept what my son has done for you. Surrender your life to him. Let him be the captain and guide of your life. Let him be your savior and your Lord so that he can begin to build that fellowship in you and that spirit of truth can live in you and you'll be able to know truth from error. And if you're a believer and yet you've been listening to these things and you've gotten confused, listen. It's not because you don't know the truth. It's just because you've forgotten for a little while. Just go back to what you know. What does the Bible say? What does it teach? Go back and look. Go back and read. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. And he will lead you into truth, Jesus said in John 15.
so that then when that error comes along, you can see it as an error and know to flee from it. You see, that's what a good father does for his children. He keeps them safe from harm. And that's what your heavenly father wants to do for you. Let's pray together. Father, there are many, many, many people out there who are trying to deceive us. Some of them are blatantly attached to cults and other non-Christian groups. Oh, they may claim to be Christians, but it's obvious where they put their trust, and it's not in you. But Father, there are others who, as it were, live right next door to us. They pastor churches, at least they call them that. They write books, they're on television and radio, they sway thousands if not tens of thousands of people and sometimes we feel kind of funny because we don't just go along with the crowd everybody else seems to love brother so-and-so or pastor so-and-so but deep in our spirits we just know that it's not true it's not in line with scripture it's not in line with the gospel and i pray that we as a church family that we as individuals that we as brothers and sisters in christ will stand firm lovingly with compassion for those who have been deceived but that we will not be afraid to say i'm sorry i don't agree with that and i don't want to be involved in it i'm not going to be a part of it i'm not going to read those books or listen to those tapes or watch those tv programs because i don't want to even be tempted to stray lord give us the ruler of your word so that we will know what is straight and what is not. And may we be guided by your word and your spirit. While our heads are bowed, I'm going to ask Brian and Jeremy to come up and they're going to sing a song that I did not know and you may not, but I'd love for you to listen to it because it speaks exactly to where we need to be. I want you to be prayerful as you think about your own life. Are you focusing and centering your life around God's Word? Are you focusing your decisions, your actions, the choices of what you listen to and what you do around the truths of God's Word? Listen, this is not a game. This is not some kind of, of Russian roulette game that we can play with error. Satan is crafty. He knows you inside and out. He's not omniscient, but he has been watching you. And he knows you. And he knows where your weaknesses are. And he knows where your foibles are. And he is working hard to find a way to trick you. He knows he can't take your salvation from you if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer, he's doing everything he can to keep you from becoming a believer. And he uses false teachers, false books, other kinds of things. And we need to stand firm on the truths of God's Word. So as they sing, I want you to be prayerful. You can do it with your eyes closed. You can do it with your eyes open. You might want to watch the words as they sing them, but I'm just going to let them sing it. This is going to be our response time. So if you want to lift your head up and watch the words, if you want to sing along with them, you can. If you just need to pray, you may want to come and pray and say, Lord, I've let my mind wander. I've gotten into things that are not true. I know in my heart they're not true. I recognize that these teachers are false, and yet I've not wanted to say anything, but I need to get away from that. You may not be a believer yet, and you may be saying, you know, I need to plant my life in God and in His Word so that His Spirit can guide me, and I will know what's true. I don't want to be confused.
I don't want to hear every little thing and not know what's true and what's not. I want to have someone living within me and with me that can guide me. You may be looking for a church home. We say, I need a place where I can plant myself so that I can be with people who together are learning the truth. Whatever you need to do, I want you to quietly, prayerfully listen as we sing and let the Word speak to your heart.